Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man whose arm is clearly visible under his shirt. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, considering last year I spent an extended amount of time with my arm uh, dangling, uh, useless, <laughs> close to my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never thought to hide it under my shirt. So, yeah, I mean you should have. You I know, mean, it, it's clearly a look. 2020, uh, right? Yeah. No, I mean, like it's not a big problem. I mean, I I I'm not complaining, okay? Like I want to be very clear yeah. here. Like I get it, right? Like talking about you know, a mini series for for I think yeah, probably Japanese or uh, German broadcast television, like it's it, it is what it is, right? You have to just take stage performance licenses and stuff and just like okay we all but like they did a really good job of hiding the arm for a majority when he was like in suits and stuff and wearing his sort of like day-to-day clothes but once he went over to like sort of like loose fitting linen like moo-moos and stuff it became really painfully obvious that it was just tucked into his pants (laughs) right right and it, and, um, it, and, it, and every so often it would bring me out because you're in this really dramatic scene and then you're like, I can see the curve of his arm in his pants. Like, I mean, I could just see you. I could see it. I feel I feel like I may have talked about this before on an episode, but I cannot remember the context that would have brought it up. It could have been a bonus episode. But uh, when I was a child... While I understood the concept of special effects, I knew, for instance, that dinosaurs were not real. Uh, I did not. This is worth noting. Uh, I still... I also recognize that when someone dies on camera, they are not actually dying, right? Right, okay. But but somewhere in that web of knowledge, uh, <laughs> Tiny Adam... <laughs> believed that when someone lost a hand on a television show uh, or a movie, <laughs> no. that, they, that they maybe actually paid a stuntman to cut <laughs> off like their hand. Say it up. Like, oh, man, he sacrificed a lot for this movie. Yeah. Oh, it's not even a good one. Oh, my God. I don't know, I don't know why. Why, why would you do that? that. Why, why, why would they keep doing that? It was just a very convincing special effect, I guess, right? Right. right. Uh, now, of course, of course, I don't think it would have been a good idea to cut off your main actor's arm in the middle of production. I mean, good idea according to who? But, but, can we really say that he was dedicated to the role if he's not willing I've, to? I've often wondered about... It's actually... Okay, this is a stupid thing that I wonder in my head when I'm trying not to think about real things that are important in this world. Yeah. And I, I, and I sometimes wonder myself, because you hear about people who are like notorious method actors, and I yeah. wonder, like, is it like a thing where their agent just has to steer them away from all parts <laughs> where like there's physical mutilation taking place? Right, right. We're like, we cannot let him... I, like any script that comes across the desk where like there's some sort of physical like damage to their being, be like, oh, no, he can't have this one. I, just, just they throw it in the trash can immediately. We can't. Well, Daniel Day Lewis is allowed, not allowed to go anywhere near this fucking role. There are there are plenty of stories of people who uh, 
irrevocably injured themselves in weight gain or well yeah i mean we yeah loss. we all know that one yeah and and that is true uh, i mean like for real but they don't in yeah. their head they don't think about it that way because right. despite us knowing that that happens people still i don't think process that as the same right. thing as just chopping your arm off right even though uh, it can but, be equally, but, I mean, it's very bad for you really, to the point of like really causing serious is. liver damage and serious <laughs> right. kidney damage and things like that. But they don't. I don't think they process the same way. Right. Of course not. Uh, whereas, like, I, I legitimately in my head, not very often, but every so often, I think to myself, like, Daniel Day Lewis's agent has a lot of work on his plate. <laughs> right. Right. Making sure that he doesn't come out of one of these roles missing a body part or maybe with an extra one i don't know maybe it'll be a cronenberg film <laughs> and he'll just have extra pieces that he didn't have before fortunately in dead ringers it's not jeremy irons character who has two vaginas right uh, well exactly, exactly. So, it's like oh yeah. no what did i let my what did i let my <laughs> client get into We've got a we've got a big episode today, uh, but before we get into it, I do want to talk about our Patreon, Patreon.com/LostInCriterion. Uh, over there for just a dollar a month, you can get access to bonus episodes, non-Criterion films. Yeah, and you I can. And quite yeah. often, a guest talk about. You get to vote on uh, on what we're going to watch. Uh, I put together a list, but sometimes I even let our Patreon supporters format the list too and suggest movies, suggest topics that we might want to make a list around. Uh, <clears throat> and quite often, uh, when you suggest a movie, you end up on that episode too. So if you want a chance uh, to yeah, bribe your way up onto an episode of Lost in Criterion, then, yeah. yeah, it can want to be on a podcast, kids? Yeah. I feel uh, like that's Pat a thing I... no one has to think about anymore in this modern era. Like, right. you can't swing a right. dead cat without hitting a podcast. So, <laughs> Right, right. Uh, particularly now. So many new podcasts in the last oh, nine God. weeks. Oh, God. Ooh. Ooh. But uh, Pat and I do uh, do this Patreon bit live. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, during we the do. recording, not live, yeah. live, but but uh, I mean that to say this is not added later. Um, and unfortunately, with our with our recording schedule, that means that if we get a new uh, subscriber uh, to one of the tiers where we actually say their name, for instance, <laughs> during this bit, uh, there's quite a bit of lead time. Yeah, between like when month, they month and a half. Uh, when they apply and when it happens. Uh, so, an interesting thing that has happened in the last nine nine weeks. Okay. Uh, since our last recording, um, last week's episode, <laughs> it has been uh, it has been actually it's I think month. five weeks. Five weeks, yeah, yep. Maybe maybe only four, but but thereabouts. Um, and even so, Pat and I were recording this episode six weeks before <laughs> this episode will actually post. Wait, um, are you describing? Wait, what? 
yeah, yeah. No, time is time is a flat circle. Uh, we were recording this the last weekend of May, and this episode will actually post, I believe, the second week of July. Holy uh, cow. Yeah, we're still very far ahead. <laughs> I did not realize that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, all of that to say that changes in people's uh, pledge levels uh, in the last nine weeks have understandably happened. Of course, uh, yeah. And uh, and I am incredibly grateful to be able to say that while Tier 1, the $1, uh, has expanded slightly, uh, people getting their bonus content, Tier 2, which is $5 in order for us to thank them on air, uh, actually has no one in it right now. Uh, because both of our $5 supporters... Uh, that I may have mentioned last week, uh, have upped their support to, wow. to 10 or above. Uh, at $10 and above, uh, we do something that I think is pretty pretty special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little thank you note, and uh, send that off. We also like to thank those people on air. Yes. Uh, and we are finally to a point where I have to start thinking about whether or not I'm going to thank them all. Never. But I will. We're going to thank them all. Uh, thank you so much to our $5 and above supporters, uh, Adam Speakerman and Christopher Otto, who have popped up to that level this month. Uh, Jonathan Hape, who is a new supporter at that level and also the guy who does the music for the show. Uh, thank you so much, Jonathan. You don't need Thanks, to do that, man. but we greatly appreciate. And to longtime $10 and above supporters, Jason Westhaber and Michael McGrath. Uh, very grateful to you. Yes, thank, thank you, you so, much. so much. Hey, speaking of the art, did you know that wheels are hard to draw? <laughs> I've heard that wheels are hard to draw, yes. Wait till you find out what I'm talking about this month. Or actually, <laughs> oh, not this boy. month. Because this is going to come out so much later than that postcard will come out. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, wheels are <laughs> difficult, as it turns out. Uh, yeah. Weirdly enough, very, very difficult to, for me for some reason. I think I might have something wrong with me. <laughs> That's very interesting. Uh, but yeah, patreon.com slash lost in Gridgerian if you want to have any idea what Pat means when he says wheels are hard to draw. So as I said, Pat and I haven't talked for a bit. And the reason I haven't talked, we haven't talked for a bit is that we have been dealing with oh the my God. largest swath of material I think we have dealt with so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, definitely. 100% yes. There have been things long. And the longest you've ever done is like something like five or six hours, right? Right. I believe uh, Tanner eighty eight might have been eight forty five minute episodes. Oh uh, yeah, that's, if I remember that correct. might be true. Yeah, that that's probably um, true. Yeah, which is still shorter than this. Right, right, right. <laughs> some of the some of the Bergman films are north of three hours by quite a bit, um, and there was uh, the uh, the episode of Bergman's uh, Scenes from a Marriage, which was a, a mini series of over an hour long episodes right period. yeah yeah um and but also i think only f six i mean there's, very... which is to say this is probably yeah. probably at least close to double the long like the yeah. previous record holder right of our i am i am incredibly grateful and i i feel like the times i have expressed this in the last six weeks i may have sounded sarcastic and i want i want to very much say i am very sincere I am so grateful to you listeners who reached out to me, realizing 
that this movie was coming <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. And making sure that I understood <laughs> what was that coming. it was 15 hours of material. <laughs> and that Pat and I would not be able to consume it in our normal scheduling. <laughs> That's what uh, no you say. Three of I you proved did you so. wrong this time. Thank yes. you very much. No, I'm just no less than no less than three of you did so, uh, and I am I am very yeah, grateful yeah. to you for having done so. I I uh, would like to point out that I did consume this in under two weeks. Well, uh, good because job. I, I feel like well, that may no, have I, a bad idea. But. No, actually, it was pr- for me. I I legitimately I'm gonna say like this may be controversial. I think that was probably the ideal way to handle it because if yeah. I had consumed the first half of it a month ago. The chances that I remember it at That's all fair. would be zero. Considering I, I know myself it, here, okay. I I'm, I watched I'm, it over the course of three weeks. We gave ourselves uh, a little over four weeks to actually do it. Um, <clears throat> originally, uh, it was broadcast one episode per week on on. Oh yeah, um, so it was a whole season or a whole yeah. half season. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I, and I could see that. Uh, it, 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 because the way the flashbacks are formatted in it are such that you, they're clearly sort of like the beginning of the X Men cartoon. Uh, <laughs> last time, you on. Up. yeah, last time on the yeah. X Men. Because uh, like, even though they're not like framed that way, you really do get like keep getting reminded of the context of things that are happening. Right. Uh, very much like that kind of uh, TV right. series, right? right? Yeah. Um, have, have we actually named what we're talking about yet? I don't think we have. Um, I don't think we have. I mean, yeah, we're obviously Pat talking I, about X-Men, the cartoon series. Yeah. Pat and I have uh, spent this last month uh, consuming Berlin Alexander plots. Uh, the 1980-14 part uh, West German television series uh, directed by Rainer Warren Fassbender based on Alfred Doblin's novel from uh, 1927, if I remember correctly. Um Doblin's novel, I actually I downloaded uh, and read a bit of. I did not read it all. It's 500 pages long. Uh, I did not give myself enough time to fully consume it. Um, but Doblin's novel is very interesting, too. It's a stream of conscious. Um, it was not what I was I, expecting. Really? I'm reading I feel it in like, translation. I feel like so. <laughs> yeah. Well, of uh, so course. I mean, that's what you I suppose have to it's do. possible that this is just a very weird English translation. <laughs> the translator, like, the translator's, yeah. like, really, really high, and it's like, you know, whatever, yeah. man. Like, <laughs> only about 20% of this material is actually in the book. Weird. Um, no, I I would say that, that I got the, I I will not know until I read it, but I get based on what I saw in the, sh- in the show slash movie, I mean, I keep wanting to it's not a movie, but like that's what we talk about as movies. So it's weird to like talk about TV shows, but um, it 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 does feel a little bit that way. Like mostly because of those interludes with the the sort of quotes and stuff like that, and the and the sort of the narrator's dialogue. Yeah, uh, does the narrator have... is Fassbender, by the way. Well, I, um, I kind of I figured that. I didn't yeah. know that, but I figured that. But like, um, yeah. I what I mean is like the way the narrator is is related to what's going on but not directly necessarily a commentary of what's taking place does remind me of those kinds of stream of consciousness novels right right where yeah. like and they'll it's... have those sort of interjections of of just sort of this is a thing i'm thinking about that's not really this thing but is definitely obviously like at least right. metaphorically related to what's going on right and that is true to 
the first few chapters at least of the book um yeah and it is inaccurate inaccurate catch of uh of sort of the idea of the book right. i'll read a little bit here uh just since i have it in front of me um this is uh the chapter victory all along the line franz blaberkoff buys a veal cutlet as wednesday rolls around the third day he puts on his coat whose fault is it all i does of course who else's i knock that tart's ribs to pieces that's why i go to uh, go to the jug now she's got what she wanted the wench is dead and here i am and he snivels himself i mean he snivels to himself and races along the streets in the cold where to where she had lived with him his, his sisters through the invalid <laughs> invalidenstrasse into Auschernstrasse. Right into the house like a whirlwind second courtyard. Prison had never existed, nor the conversations with the Jews in the Dragonstrasse. Where is the wench? It's her fault. Seen nothing in the street but found Ill- an illy way. A little twitching of the face, a little twitching of the fingers. Eileen will go there. Bumbidly, bumbidly, bumbidly be, tumbably, rumbably, tumbably be, rumbably, bumbably. Yep. <laughs> Sounds about right. I mean, right. it's le- it is less coherent than than I expected, but yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the the parts of the film where uh, incoherency is uh, part of the narrative um, uh, are even even more overt, like the opening sequence where he is lost, entering into a. Uh, civilization for the first time in four years right um and the streetcars are driving him mad and the sounds of the city are driving him mad and he has no idea what to do with his freedom before he stumbles uh into the courtyard of the uh, jewish gentleman um that is all uh <laughs> it is so much more of, right of like you know conver- snippets of conversations like like what i just read is one paragraph no line breaks no no paragraph breaks okay, yeah and uh, and like a true stream of consciousness, uh, dialogue between characters are not broken off, and it is not always clear who is talking and who is saying what, except through broader context. When you <laughs> when you get to the next line and think, well, right. this has got to be Franz saying this, so this one must have been right. someone else. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting book, uh, but it is very long, <laughs> and right, I did yeah. not. I did not have the opportunity to finish it off. The book was originally released in 1927. Uh, there was a 1931 film adaptation that is also on these DVDs. Uh, did you get a chance to watch that? The wait, what was it? The 1931 film version that is also no, on the, I didn't on the because disc. a thing that I ran into is that during the process of trying to watch this, uh, Criterion Channel basically crapped out on me. Yeah, like would not show me anything like because i guess probably because it's just being overused yeah um, and so i ended up having to get another copy of it but it was a little parsed down <laughs> i didn't have any extra materials or anything like that so yeah um so yeah it's uh the earlier film adaptation 1931 um it is a story set in the 20s um Written in the twenties, right? Written in Berlin between the wars. Uh, written as the Nazis are just starting to rise, right? 
But then Fassbender's adaptation is 1980. Right. He has, uh, you know, he's got 50 years of retrospect. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Of of major upheavals in German history to uh, to frame what he's saying uh, and why why this piece is important to Fassbender is the entire history of him and Germany, right? Right. Uh, and that broader context is very interesting. Now, obviously, that does not overtly come in until the final section, the epilogue, um, but it does not... Yeah, but uh, you, it definitely reads that way. Like, when you're watching the... the Right. the story like you as an audience member because this is one of those weird like you obviously we as audience members don't have the as much context as somebody who you know is living and working you know who is german uh yeah. just not quite as much historical knowledge right uh but nonetheless like it's a lot of things are pretty patently obvious or, and i think are meant to be patently obvious in in this adaptation right it's i think Fassbender does use a not I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a heavy hand in like the negative sense but like does try to essentially foreshadow German history right, right. Uh, the real pretty heavily yeah yeah the real anachronisms don't happen until part 14 but but uh the the winking and nudging <laughs> right exactly is certainly yeah. is certainly there to the point where it's kind of hard to believe that this this original work was written before anyone right, could exactly. have known exactly where the Nazis were going. <laughs> but you know, and that and not what that the I Nazis think is, play a heavy role in what's going on. No, right? but like but, I mean, the re- the sort of overt references to like him wearing the swastika armband and stuff, and 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 how people understand that in the group. Right. Well, you know, and then what it like helps you to understand. It, it's really. This is one of those weird pieces of art that probably gets more, probably gets more interesting and prescient the further away you get away from it, in the yeah. sense because it, it's all, it sets up the groundwork, the groundwork for how the sort of iteration of ideas continues to sort of expand outward, right? And yeah. the further you get away, the more you see the sort of weird rippling knock-on effects of the waves as they roll through the through the water right it it's like we we as an audience as audience members can see and know and obviously fastminder does too like what that armband really comes to mean but the characters in the show also see that yeah. and probably and i would guess because i don't think fastminder went like whole hog crazy with the novel or anything like that like he did not <laughs> right, exactly. So that means that the characters in the novel also knew what that meant, which right. also helps us to understand that when we look at our own time and we see these sorts of behaviors and some of us see it and I guess some of us don't see it, right. it's it's like, oh, my God, it, it, we're just here. This is just where we are right now. This is the same place. We didn't go right. anywhere. We're in the same place we were literally 100 years ago at this point, basically. Right. When writing this, obviously, uh, Doblin can look around and he can see the economic hardships facing Berlin, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the sexual liberation of the Weimar, uh, Weimar Republic, 
the rising of Nazi rhetoric uh, as a response to those social issues, the rising of communist rhetoric as a response to those social issues, uh, the clashes between those two ideologically opposed responses. <laughs> right. And a lot of poor people in the middle who uh, will flock from one side or to the other, depending on their whims and what they interact with and just how downtrodden they are and who they're blaming at any given moment right. or who they're willing to blame at any given moment. Uh, for and, what's and, and, and especially through the eyes of Franz, like who the other people at the bar are blaming. Right. You know what I mean? Like who, where the wind blows you that day because now uh, Franz is a particularly susceptible to influence person. Right. And, and that makes him an interesting character to put into these, this dynamic, right? Because he will just blow wherever the wind blows basically. Right. Um, And, and that is, makes him interesting as a, as a character. I don't know. I mean, and also as a commentary on human beings, right? Just as, as a general, just sort of general commentary, right? Like, right? Exactly how strong are your convictions, right? Kind of thing. Yeah, but Franz is also a character who has, who at the start of the narrative already believes himself to have been at the bottom, right? Has sworn that he will lead a straight life, and at every turn is met with that being an impossibility right, because absolutely. of economic and social structures outside of who he is, right? Right. Well, and, and we get a lot of other things, right, because there's references to Franz being in the war. Yes. Uh, and it's pretty clear that Franz has some form of PTSD or, or right. some or some pretty severe trauma. Right. Uh, it's pr- it's pr- played pretty well in the movie. Yeah. Uh, as a sort of just background note to sort of the way he interacts with the world around him. And then also a person who has found himself in prison and that's had an effect on him. And, and, and sort of he's met by a world that is impossible to, yeah, you, as you mentioned, impossible for him to go straight, but also the sort of trauma that he has experienced also makes that even more impossible, right? Right. But that trauma is itself the structures around it. Right, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting. But then we also get to a picture, and a thing that I found really interesting as sort of a background thought for myself was, no matter how far Franz goes down in society, we also get the sort of narrative about the fact that you'll, they always, somebody always finds somebody else to shit on. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? That like... Franz is at the bottom, ostensibly, but he's still sort of casting stones further down the ladder. You know what I mean? It's right. Like the 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 obvious uh, sort of inverse of there's always a bigger fish is that there's also always a smaller fish, right? There's always somebody that is that you can treat more poorly. You know what I mean? Like it's very. It's an interesting thing to watch Franz deal with people who are both sort of above him and in in sort of the hierarchy of society below him, right? Right. And in that regard, it's interesting that Franz is never shown to have a Nazi's uh, uh, infatuation 
in, in uh, of anti-Semitism, right? No, he has yeah. he has the normal normal uh, for for worse. <laughs> Um, yeah, no yeah, he is the sort of he has, general. He has the baseline anti-Semitism uh, that we could expect to see in 1920s society, or, or today, pretty much anywhere, and today. Um, but uh, but even when he is actively supporting the Nazis, um, he was he was brought into it on an economic argument on a German nationalistic ar- argument, right? Right. And uh and he encounters Jewish people while he's selling Nazi newspapers uh and has no idea why they would feel uncomfortable well, <laughs> around him, right? And again, as sort of even a commentary on our sort of modern society, right? Like this is just so fascinatingly poignant, right? Because he is fundamentally just doesn't understand and 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 in that case in that sense is a i think a very real character right like he he doesn't get that this is not just that this means something different to the to other people around him you know what i mean that like he's not that, that his view of it is coming from a very specific and and we would say in, in more modern sort of ways of thinking about it, a, a very a specifically still somewhat more privileged position, right? Like, again, Franz is not the lowest person on society's ladder. Right. He's very far down on it, and a lot of things fall on him, but he's not the, – it's not the bottom rung. Right. Yeah, and he doesn't know that he, in his mind there is no there is no place on the ladder lower than his. Yeah, and that's you know again in a similar way. So much of the people who who get sidelined and get get entrapped in uh, fascist <laughs> fascist ideologies absolutely yeah totally uh, i mean believe themselves to be at the bottom already right right and and, and that i mean you know is is like this piece is contemporary well not the film but the the book is contemporary to the events that it's talking about and it's important to understand that yeah people get pulled into fascist ideologies all the time on things like economic arguments it, it's you know it's a thing yeah Uh, so the novel was originally published in 29. I think I misspoke. I said it was 27 earlier. Um, so that's obviously post Beer Hall push, post uh, post Mein Kampf, Hitler's imprisonment. Yeah. Um, but still prior prior to Hitler's rise to power. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. When did he become? I want to say chancellor. Oh gosh, you know, I should know this, but I don't. I know. <laughs> that's that's. I'm the same way. And I don't want to just. 1933, he became chancellor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which yeah, I mean is, but like you know. 
somebody like our the novelist sees this kind of thing on the wind, right? Like it's right. I mean, it, the <laughs> the German the the National Museum in in Berlin has a very fascinating way of rendering the idea that like they they are not kind to the Weimar Republic. Let's be very clear here. <laughs> They're yeah. like these assholes were not paying attention, like, <laughs> right. or were and just thought. I mean, thought what the assholes think now, right? Which is like, well, we we can ride this wave for ourselves, and it'll be right. fine, right? Like this will right. be okay. We'll just ride on this weird wave, and everything will work out, and we'll be in power, and this will pass, and we'll be that much more powerful when it's all over. And um, yeah, it didn't work out so good. Yeah. Turns out that stuff uh, maybe doesn't work out too good. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, but, you know, of course, no one's going to ever repeat that mistake again. So that's cool. No, never. Not yeah, multiple no, we've times. We've definitely learned our lesson. Uh, uh, no. I mean, I just, I know it's impossible in the United States because we would never make a museum that talks about, you, you know what I mean? Like, American exceptionalism <laughs> is just so. Right ingrained that we'll never have a museum that just shits on a previous version of the United States. Right. And it's like, what the fuck were these people doing? Right. But, um, the idea of, of there someday being an, a museum in America that is just, just absolutely shitting on 2020 America <clears throat> and being just like, what the fuck guys, uh, is a beautiful thing to, for me to think about. Right. I think part of that issue is that America does not think of its separate iterations as separate iterations, right? Well, right. Uh, I mean, this was a very clear. I mean, there's a very obvious yeah. and clear break there, right? Like, right, right. Um, that doesn't mean that we're incapable of having one of those, but right, right. Now, America has had obvious and clear breaks. We just Absolutely. don't think of them as obvious and clear breaks. And to consider American continuity despite the fact that we have had major social upheavals that have fundamentally changed policy, even as they have fundamentally not changed policy. Right. Um, but to believe that Reconstruction America and pre-Civil War America and post-Reconstruction America uh, are I mean, the same yeah, country. I mean, that's the very much the obvious one, right? Like, it, yeah. it, it, It's like, how could you ever, like not treat these as essentially two different like at least eras right like how could you right. not think of right. these in terms of like yeah like radically different eras in american history right but like we just but i think that all flows into the same sort of weird pot of exceptionalism right where it's like right this all has to be this mythical thing it can't right. be anything other than this shining city on the hill or whatever like it just and has it's to be this thing you know, we've talked about it with capitalism, but it's it's the way Americans are trained to engage with ideas as uh, how things are now is how they have always been in perpetuity right. in both directions. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and and you know, but you know that yeah, I think that it all sort of stems. From, we you and I both know that it all sort of stems stems from the same source, and like, and because of that, also you and I do suffer from that too because. Like we, you and I sometimes struggle, I think, to conceive of a world where that way of America viewing itself is not also going to continue forever, right? Like, right, right. There's right. is very real, very real thing that eventually that will not be the way Americans view themselves, right? Because it has right. not always been the way Americans view themselves either. 
Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like early, early, you know, like early 1800s America did not view itself that way. Right. Uh, You know, different views. Right. But like, you know, we we live in we live in a time and we have to you you can't not live in the time you live in. Right. There's something I saw on Twitter this week, uh, given everything that's happening in America right now. Uh, But uh, what a great line. I cannot remember who said it. Um, there was a time before police and there was a time after police. Exactly. Yeah, uh, totally. But yeah. in the same manner, there was a time before America and there was going to be a time after America. Uh, and, the, and, and uh, really like you get into the quicker that you thing. accept that idea. Right. <laughs> well, you get into that thing that like, you know, there's that always that thing you can always sort of do right on sort of get into like larger scales, right? A majority of history has had no America. Right, and a majority of history will continue to have no America, right. and uh, and and but you given, know, given the amount of history without an America, uh, chances are, statistically speaking, America doesn't exist right now. So no, absolutely, yeah, totally. Statistically speaking, America has never existed, will never exist, uh, and and well, I mean, you know, statistically speaking, humans have. There's a non-zero chance that America exists. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, right. Statistically speaking, yes, very small, but um. No, I mean, it's just, you know, we, it, it, I kind of thought that this would go this way because there's no way you and I can watch this movie <laughs> right, series and right, not be like, right. well, here we fucking are, guys. Uh, <laughs> like, just here we are. Like, like, go open your fucking window. There it is. You want to know what Berlin Alexander plots is like? Open your, open your window. Just, just yeah. hang your head outside for 15 minutes and there you are. Congratulations. You're. You're living Franz Bieberkopf's life, but, um, but but really not even not even on a political uh, spectrum there. Um, <laughs> obviously, yes, it is because everything is political. But Franz exists in a world of high unemployment. Yep. Of high economic insecurity. Yep. Uh, where. Uh, he has been thrust into a situation where he really can't exercise freedom, right? Yeah, I mean, he, now, he has... Yeah, go ahead. To, to an extent, the argument can be made that that is his own fault. He did commit a murder. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> right. True. I uh, would and... argue that the way he behaves is very clearly... Yes. The result well, of some pretty un, right, untreated right. trauma. While well, in while well, in a trauma induced disassociated state, he committed a murder. <laughs> uh, but but a a state he falls into again during the narrative. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that is perhaps one of the more interesting things about this is um, the way the movie, at least, keeps coming back to Ida's murder. Um. As as the instigating point of Franz's uh, fate issues, karma issues, right. uh, instead of stepping back to explore who Franz was before that. Well, because um, I think we, you and I were talking about breaks, right? Right. About it, like there is no pre that Franz anymore. That's fair. That that being does not walk the earth and will never walk the earth again. Like that's fair. We Franz doesn't get to have a past. He might talk about a thing that happened before her murder, but that thing is essentially a dream that happened. 
right. to somebody else who doesn't exist anymore. Like, it, it is really fascinating because what, what, what the movie does is create a wall. Like, it, there's a physical wall at which which Fra- Franz cannot, like, transcend. Like, his personal history starts with the murder of Ida. Ida? Ida? How do you pronounce that? Ida. I assume it's Ida, but... Ida. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. that's where his personal history starts. There's nothing before that. It just doesn't... Like, like I said, we as we mentioned, like, you know, he was in the war, apparently... Uh, he was some sort of like low level criminal before that who drank too much. Yeah. Like we know these things because he says them, but they could also just not be true. Because we never as a audience get to see them because Franz doesn't exist before that event. Um I don't know if that's true in the book. Because it doesn't sound I, I it's hard I don't know. Like it's I would have to read it to know that. I, from what I can gather, from what I have read, this is a fairly true adaptation of the book. Having read the first two or three chapters, the first 30 pages of the book, right? Uh, I can say that at least in regards to the first episode and a half, it is right. very true to the book. And that and that uh, makes me believe that probably it is all the way through yeah. or as close as he could. I mean, obviously, when you're doing stream of consciousness stuff, there's there right. are artistic challenges. But yeah, I think when we're we're probably getting back to original author's intent when we talk about the fact that like the character yeah. in this in the book can't probably penetrate yeah. that wall either. He just doesn't exist before that event. Yeah. Now, one thing that made the 1931 adaptation interesting is that. Uh, that screenplay, which very much falls from the book, uh, was written by Doblin, uh, the author of the, uh, of the oh, novel. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that that has a hypercondensation of the story because it takes place in 86 minutes. Um, it uh, Or concentration of the story, rather, not condensation. But, it works. Uh, it yeah. works. Uh, uh, characters are combined. um uh, some of the women are are combined, and I think that might be true even of Fassbender's work, though not as uh, not as to the point. Um, for instance, even comparing the uh, thirty one film to Fassbender's work, um, Silly, the first girlfriend, and Eva, the uh, the woman who wants to have Franz's baby. Um, uh, Herbert's wife, girlfriend, right. uh, are combined as one character. Silly, Silly essentially takes the Eva position in the second half of the narrative of the 1931 film, huh. uh, including the friendship with uh, with Misa, uh, or however you say it. you're supposed to say her name. <laughs> It just depends. I I I can't remember how it's spelled because it would just tell yeah. you the answer. It's whatever whatever your second vowel is. It's what you yeah. say. Uh, but yeah, so um, so that that provides an interesting contrast, I think, to the story, to what what Fassbender would be willing to do, um, 
and view as acceptable to do to a work he clearly respects and clearly wants to adapt. Right, right. Uh, but the author himself took liberties, right? Uh, and and it's pretty obvious, having watching that 1931 adaptation, that I think Fassbender is also drawing on that 1931 adaptation for for some of what's going on in his adaptation. Now that well, makes sense, right? Like essentially, you're both, right. I mean, both pulling from the same material, right? Right. I mean, you know, but also when you think about the fact that you're you're the author of the thing you're trying to adapt already sort of gave you a roadmap for adapting it, right? Right. Right. Um, not a perfect one, but gave you some idea of what you can and cannot do and not lose the thread of what this is about. Because when you think about it in terms of like what you described to me, this is like cold sounding, but the women in the stories actual existence is not super relevant to their function in the story right you know what i mean they are they are very much side characters to Franz. they exist to allow things to come to pass right but they don't carry any very little personal agency right and the sexism of the story is never something that is overtly addressed Right. Right. Exactly. Um, but something that obviously exists. But right. but in the same way, you know, it's it's also in in it being a stream of conscious narrative, uh, you know, the economic conditions are never overtly addressed either, right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> but, and, and, but they but the feed movie, the, right, everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. And and so does the sexism, right? I and mean, so like, does the sexism. The, this movie is very much about that. But right. part of and, and it's it's hard to we'll never excuse me, we'll never know. Like I don't because I again, you get into sort of like what part is Fassbender, or what part is the movie. And when you get into sort of the nuance of conveyed thought, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, conveyed right. like, like um, perception. Like the movie is very. Ma- the movie makes it very clear that like this is does not ever try to tell you that the sexism is a good thing. Right. It very clearly paints as a, a major instigator of Franz's demise you know what i mean like and 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 what is wrong with him right like and the society he's living in as well uh similar to like the economic issues and stuff like that and it's hard to say like well is that that sort of nuance is hard to say for me from where i am having not read it at all like was that fassbender is that the book yeah right i would say it's probably the book because the book it's so overt in the story yeah, that like there's no way you could write that and not be conscious of what. Right, I, I'd say that, and then I think about some of the books that exist on Earth. Right, um, <laughs> you know, intersectional to that. Uh, I also found it interesting that the 1930 movie still has quite a bit of the uh, uh, implied lesbianism between Mitzi and uh, and Silly in this case, but the Eva Eva character. I'm not surprised uh, by that. I I, I, uh, I know it sounds whereas, like it, but whereas the homoeroticism between uh, 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 Franz and Reinhold, which Fassbender makes very overt, uh, is uh, is nearly non-existent, <laughs> or perhaps yeah, more deeply kind of hidden sense, yeah. than yeah. than uh, uh, in that in that version. I, I, my, Given my, the, okay, go ahead. Given the sexual libertinism 
of Weimar, Weimar Berlin that we've talked about previously. Um, that is perhaps a little surprising to me. Um, in 1931, oh, about it the seems like homosexuality that probably, or about the yeah 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 because I was going to say the yeah. lesbianism the lesbian sort of vibes do not surprise me at all, like right. not even a little bit. Like Weimar art has a lot of that kind of yeah. you know that that sort right. of vibe to it is fairly common. Uh, yeah, the the lack of homosexuality sort of being addressed in the in the first one is surprising a little bit, but like. The impression I've always got is that, that that sexual liberation stuff from the Weimar Republic still always seems to skew towards, the, you know what I mean? Like, there's a, even now in modern society, there's somehow even a sort of double, what, what are, what's the phrase I'm trying to think about? Like, I, I'm trying to think, like, still to this day, lesbianism is seen as somehow less offensive than, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it just, Seems well, to that's be because that... straight men don't actually believe in lesbians. <laughs> exactly, totally. But I, you get yeah. the impression that that's still a thing that was true. Go back to chasing Republic Amy Germany for that well. conversation, yeah. but yeah, but like that's still. Yeah. That, I think that's an idea that is still present in Weimar Republic thought as right. well, right? To a certain right. extent, which and is of, like, and of this course, is just the, women being women or whatever, right? Yeah. Like the women in question process. here are bisexual, and the conversations they overtly have about their attraction to one another, uh, uh. Maybe they're not being honest with themselves, but they're still framing it as, uh, I consider myself straight, but I am attracted to you. Right. right? Uh, so, yeah. Um, again, again, go back to Chasing Amy for chasing discussions Amy. on bi- See, <laughs> bisexuality Amy not existing. <laughs> like we have a weird sort of like a footnote on our own episode. See the right. episode Chasing. Right, right. You know, I like to do those footnotes when I can actually remember them existing. Right. <laughs> well, that one's but, just so painfully odd. Well, yeah. in, in the category of things we will never forget. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It doesn't um, hurt that I had to, like, I was exposed to Chasing Amy so many times I'm in sure. my life by people yes. who really, really wanted me to watch Chasing Amy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, Fassbender, obviously, you know, I didn't, I, I meant to pop ahead and read that part of the book, but I have it digitally and it's so hard to navigate. <laughs> Yeah, on an e-reader, uh, when you're reading a PDF file instead of an EPUB, where, where right, right, where my my reader means I have to physically swipe through every page to get to anything. Um, and obviously, it's not until the epilogue where that homoeroticism really blooms uh, in the uh, in the sequence where they're in the boxing right. ring and end up kissing. Um. Not to say that doesn't exist. Uh, well, the epilogue no. exists in a weird space, right? Because the epilogue doesn't exist in the book. Right. The epilogue is at times very heavy-handed and right. is unpleasant at times, and other times is nice. It's a little it, – the epilogue is a hard read because it, it sometimes it's like feels like, for example, with the homosexuality that like um, – like – Fassbender like really, really wants to be like, "Hey guys, did you notice yeah. this?" Yeah, some of some of what we talked about when we talked about the BRD trilogy uh, and our first interactions with Fassbender are are Fassbender's tendency to, on occasion, uh, hold your face in his shit. Yeah, to be like, <laughs> "I was in the movie already, but now I need you to be like, really, did you notice it, guys? For real, <laughs> right. right? Like, heads right. up, I right. put this in here, 
did you notice it? Yeah. And like, for, for instance, in the 1931 film, um, and I don't, I did not read this part of the book either, so I don't know, but in the 1931 film, Reinhold is hiding in the curtains as opposed to here where for, for no readily apparent reason, <laughs> right? He's hiding in the bed. Uh, Franz says, Oh, you should hide in my bed. <laughs> um, right. And, and of course, Mitzi, Mitzi, uh, Never even questions that, right? I know like, that's she, the weird. That is like legitimately one of the weird. That sequence, even even when Franz very... wants to explain why, why he would, why Reinhold was in his bed, <laughs> like yeah, Mitzi's uh, just like, uh no thanks, I'm okay, I yeah. get it. Yeah. Uh, no, it's 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 just. And that's the thing, right? Is like that was kind of my problem with the epilogue is that like it's like and now the director will recount his exploits and then like just kind of runs you through all the metaphors of the movie kind of. It's like dude, we got it the first time. Like who are you worried about? Like I yeah. guess you're worried that like somebody sat through a 13 13- series like episode series and like didn't get it like we got it man yeah we got it like <laughs> right thanks right. anyway but yeah like <laughs> and so like to me the the epilogue felt very honestly felt very unnecessary i i it sounds mean to say because like i like the series a lot yeah and then i got to the epilogue and i was kind of like i don't really need to watch this this is i mean i i did but like I spent most of the time going like, why, why is this happening? Artistically? I thought the epilogue had a lot of interesting things going on. Absolutely. It was very neat. had a lot of interesting stuff. You're absolutely right. The way it plays with a lot of stuff, sort of space and time is all very fascinating. um, And, and sort of just absolutely nothing is real. It's, it's all very fascinating, but it, it feels like to me, nonetheless, it feels like, it feels like the. It feels like if you've ever taken, I'm sure you have, taken like a philosophy or some various sorts of. You, I know you've taken literature classes, where yeah. now it's time for so and so to share their thoughts about this thing. It, yeah. And and now we would like you to write your own like, like I have given this assignment to students. Right. Now write what comes next. Yeah. And the, uh... it feels like that. The epilogue's tendency to go big overt in its symbolism of, uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, Franz is explicitly crucified. Right. uh, And as such a Christ figure. Uh, But even prior to that, he is so much of a Job. Uh, And that's true to the rest of the narrative. Everything has been stripped from Franz. Um, and unlike Job, he has not reached a point where he is receiving any reparations for that. Um, and in that regard, you know, uh, this is asking similar questions to the book of Job. You know, the, right. within the narrative of Job, you get Job actually accosting God to say, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to people who are trying to be good, in Franz's case? Franz is not a great person, but he is a victim of circumstances, and uh, 
and like legitimately a, gives like to not everyone, being an I asshole, like can. not being a yeah. bad guy, a go. He gives it a yeah, right. a fair shake, and it does not work out well. It does not work out for him. Uh, he he legitimately has a a better run at life um, when uh, when he is breaking the law, right? Yeah. Um. The. Um, the male during that whole crucifixion sequence, when the when the angels are are piling bodies, the uh, the male angels. It's just a very interesting thing to me. Uh, he talks about the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, the Peasant Revolution, the Anabaptists, and that's probably what caught my attention. Uh, he draws a line marking anyone marching toward freedom as marching toward death, and and freedom and death being. Uh, inextricable from one another uh you know uh and that that's interesting because you know i i don't know fassbender religiously but i get the feeling he is not uh not a believer in orthodox christian (laughs) morality right? right um so uh so this idea of uh of death as freedom is therefore a nihilistic one here right right um and that's that's i don't want to say that's not supported by the rest of the narrative because it obviously is <laughs> but um but even making it overt there feels feels out of place feels weird well i mean yeah i mean this that's an, a specific example but that's the generally the problem but with yeah. the epilogue is that like yeah. it makes overt what the what the story itself never makes overt right the story itself comments by just being right, right. like it just by by just having the things happen right the right. story is stream of conscious but not surreal right like the things everything that happens to franz is grounded in a fundamental sense of this is what reality is, right? Right. Franz has some psychological breaks that get a little surreal, but we all as an audience understand that they are not real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Franz, you know. Yeah. Whereas that's not what the epilogue is. The epilogue is very much a actual commentary. It's, it is actually saying like, I'm going to now talk about these things. Right. The epilogue's a film essay and it is absolutely, it is Fassbender taking all sorts of influence and how he has interacted with this work and outside things that have framed how he views this work. Like even in the music, uh, you know, we get, we get Joplin's me and Bobby McGee playing, right? Right. Uh, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Uh, we hear that a couple of times. Right. Uh, while Franz is shown drinking saucer (laughs) milk from a saucer and surrounded by rats. But then the next song we hear is Chelsea Hotel number two a song Leonard Cohen wrote about an affair with Janis Joplin, right? And that's well, right, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, and it's that way, right? Like it is what the epilogue actually is is you you mentioned a, a film essay, but also I would argue it is a stream of consciousness for Fassbender, right? It, it's not a stream of consciousness. It is. It is. It is Fassbender's stream of consciousness talking about this film, right? Like what the way he would if imagine you just put him on the spot and were like, okay, 
tell me about this book. Right. And what it makes you think about. Right. This was probably what would come out. Like, it's like, keep in mind, we're talking about, like, I mean, yeah, it does definitely talk about sort of a, I, I would almost argue it's a sort of infatuation with death, which is almost a different level beyond nihilism because like mm-hmm. one of the other songs that features very prominently is something I had to learn in my German studies classes which were uh, Der Todenasmation which is like uh, I think that's the name of it now I have to go look it up but it's that that sort of um, that keeps playing uh, yeah. in the background uh, and that is a song I want to say it should be Demation shouldn't it but uh, whatever I'm going to look it up but um I don't, my German is very, very bad at this. No, that's major. Okay, which is basically like death and the and the the young lady, and it's a mm-hmm. whole it's a whole German romanticism thing that talks about like death, like trying to lure this woman into death, and her not wanting to go, and him explaining that like I'm not mean, I'm not bad, like I'm not here right. to like hurt you, like I just want you, like and so. Which is very much a like you know German romanticism and all that jazz like right, right. again, I was not taught very well about this. This is a thing I only have a <laughs> passing knowledge of, but like is very much infatuated with things like death, and and choosing that is one of the primary background musics for the it comes up a lot, like it is playing a lot, yeah, and and it is a very much a thing that is about how dying ain't so bad, dudes. Right, like it's like that is what it is. Um, so I don't know. It it, it is. I I kind of feel like maybe Fastbender was in a place. It's got me. You know what I mean? Like kind of going through some stuff. Or something. well, Fastbender himself died two years after this was originally released. Well, you know. Um. But you know, as the BRD trilogy made through the course of the seventies, uh, prior to this, um, late sixties to maybe, I can't remember the dates on the BRD trilogy, but, but all of that is also, you know, very similar to, uh, Pasolini's work in regards to, uh, the political culture of Italy. Right. Um, right. Mrs. Fassbender saying, this is who you are. And that's, you need to deal with, (laughs) you are right right? to uh to his nation um so yeah Uh, individually some of the episodes maybe are a little slow uh maybe there's a point to that (laughs) um the plot overall is not super relevant to a lot of what's going on (laughs) um uh so but i yeah that does lend that feel to it right that it just feels like I mean the movie the film series does require the series does require a lot of patience. It's yeah. It was, this is one of those things that is fascinating me the idea that this broadcasted on television. Oh yeah. People somebody just sat down and watched some of these episodes and didn't immediately go what? Like <laughs> did right. I I just used an hour for that? But like as a collection like the total result is I I would argue that the part prior to the epilogue is very is probably is just exceptionally excellent, like at conveying all the things it wants to convey. Yeah, uh, including like the sort of mundanity of some of the things that are happening, because 
you know, Franz is supposed to just be a normal person. Right. I mean, not, you know, normal in the, not in sort of a, not, not like normal in the sense that, like, Franz is just a person, just a guy, just a yeah. person going through life. And some of the episodes are literally just that. Right. For the most part. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, that's obviously the way to go with that. It's just, you know, it's, I can't imagine if you were watching this week by week and like you sit down and it's, oh, well, it's Tuesday. It's time for, it's time for Berlin Alexander plots. We all sat down, watched TV, and then we watched him like kind of do nothing for an entire day. Right, right. Well, last week he was uh, falling in with the Nazis. Let's see what happens this time. Right. Oh, yeah. he's selling shoestrings. Uh, makes the whole sense. time. Yeah. Has sex with a woman. And then his partner tries to have sex with a woman. And his partner doesn't understand why the woman had sex with France, clearly. Which, so. Yeah, which is a very weird. Yeah, like, yeah, that, that, that episode is strange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Beginning to end, it's very strange. Yeah, I suppose that's not back to back episodes, but it's, it it feels like it. It does too. feel like it. Yeah, it yeah. has that feel to it for sure. Um, I mean, there's yeah. I think between those two might be the one where Franz is just drunk the entire time. So drunk at one point he goes to a church and confesses to a coal delivery man. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's you know, it it is. And I think you know that's what they're going for, right? Yeah. Right. Again. For you and me, it's like that's right. fine, right? Because I'm I know I'm just gonna watch another episode in like but, yeah. a half an hour or whatever, right? But, but like if you're like, oh, I gotta go another week before I can actually see I can see what good old Franz gets up to. Yeah. Yeah. But the end But then again, you're talking about a piece of literature that is a fundamental part of that's a big difference, right? Like this is a piece of literature that is known to the audience that it's that the film is aimed at, right? Like Right. I mean, I I don't know. I you and I have a very hard time identifying this, but there's definitely American literature that is like this. That if you made oh. a TV show of it or something, people outside of America would be like, "Why are we watching this?" Right, right. And they're like, "We have to. It's part of the story, guys." Uh, is the way the the response that would they would get right? Uh, so you know. Uh. I mean, there are there are Americans examples of this that are so much worse. Can you can you imagine a a miniseries adaptation of Moby Dick where they actually do uh, an entire episode devoted <laughs> to uh, the textbook description of processing a sperm whale? <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. Like. I mean. Yeah. I mean. That's a. That's even like a. That's that, even that is a sort extreme of an extreme example. example. Yeah. But like. Yeah. But even then, like, I, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, even, like, some simple ones, like yeah. Huckleberry Finn or something. Oh, yeah. Like, we, there, I mean, there's a lot of hanging out on a river, man. Right. right. Like, there's a lot of just, like, describing the Mississippi River going on. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a part of a cultural heritage that, means you're probably willing to yeah. sit through some slower parts because you're like, well, I mean, this is just part of the story. We all know this, right? right? We all had to read this in high school or whatever, right? Yeah. This is a movie that when it gets political also is interested in saying why the Nazis were able to take power because it 
subtly shows us the splintering of leftist groups, right? Right, right. <laughs> Too. Uh, it's it is a fascinating piece of work. No, I I uh, I mean I find it it's hard to watch in the sense that it is. It was not hard to watch. It was very, I don't know. It's one of those ones where like, it was very easy. In the sense that, like, I never, like, hated watching it. Yeah. But it is, there's a lot going on that is very clearly a part of the story that will make you feel uncomfortable to be a part of. Not as much as other films we've watched, obviously, but, like, nonetheless. It's, like, I, it's not, it's not, like, I don't know, it's, it, it is, a very, very, very good series. It's just yeah. like, can you imagine to yourself sitting down and be like, well, I guess I'll just uh, throw on some good old Franz Biberkoff here and like just uh, just relax. <laughs> right, right. But that's I not an experience you can have. Like, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think like, there were a lot of people within Germany who had that reaction. Internationally, no, of not. a lot of yeah. people very much liked this. Um, right. Uh, Michael Mann and Francis Ford Coppola early cited this as influential to them. I'm, yeah, I mean, I can say, like, why would you not, right? Like, I mean, there's right. so much interesting going on here. Uh, it's just, you know, it's hard to. Yeah. Uh, apparently, during production, Gunter Lamprick, who plays Franz, was constantly at odds with uh, with Fassbender. Uh, absolutely hated it. Let me see if I can find the quote real quick. Uh, it's in the Criterion essay. Uh, come on, where are you? Here we go. Uh, As director, it could also be possible, of course, to show particular consideration to the leading actor, insofar as the director shouldn't drive him crazy with other things, since he has such a difficult task to perform. In fact, the only source of disturbance I had was my director who continually interfered in my work. Oh my Gunter God. on on production. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Because Fassbender had a very particular idea of what he was trying to say, right? Uh, as, well, as I mean, yeah. Obvious. Right. Uh, overtly obvious with the epilogue. But, right. Yeah. And then I would also argue, again, when you start dealing with... When you start dealing with things that are well-known to all parties involved. Yeah. This that sort of thing is also more likely to happen, right? Like Oh yeah. If if everybody knows the story and when they read the story probably specifically understood characters in a very specific way, that's you're now dealing with preconceived notions that each person is carrying with them, right? Like and that that can obviously cause a lot of conflict between an actor and a director, right? Like you're yeah. almost better off with like totally that, that's why sometimes the wholly brand new material is probably I think safer because you're like well I you know so and so wrote this and none of us have read this before we just got it you know whereas like oh we we read this in high school or whatever we read this in junior high school or whatever like we all had a specific image associated with it's basically it's the answer to why no one's ever happy with any with any movie like made up from a comic book like essentially right like it's like well we all have different images of this thing that we carry around right if you right. if you were ever involved with this piece of art before 
you have an image of what it means and what it is, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is that all Batman costumes should have nipples. <laughs> because your your view of comic book <laughs> Batman. Well, I mean, nipples. I'm just saying, like, no, yeah, but like, it's just, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, Batman no, clearly his his a, suit has nipples on it. It should be the hill true. you die on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we all have to pick one, and that's mine. Mm. Come at me, bro. <laughs> I I will not be coming at you, bro. No, no, yeah, no. no you're not going to get on an airplane for 14 hours to come argue with me about nipples on a, on a Batman uh, costume. Since I'm currently not legally allowed to enter your country, probably true, not. True, and I'm not. I can't leave. Yeah, so. I'm a prisoner. Uh, no, uh, technically I can leave. I'm just not allowed to come back. There you, go. there you go. So if I don't, if I, I guess if I decided I didn't love my family, that's the answer right there. <laughs> Uh, I just kind of, not to make fun of people's real trauma because that's happening to people. Oh, they yeah. legit can't get back. Oh, to I'm sure. Country, but yeah. Um. <laughs> but but saying you're a prisoner, um, and and let's let's actually tie that in here. You know the yeah, the frequent okay. imagery of uh, Franz of Mitzi as uh, uh, animals being led to slaughter. The slaughterhouse uh, becomes very overt in the epilogue, but is yeah, there yeah. throughout the rest of the the piece, right? right? I mean, yeah, just um, sort of constant in that, that commentary yeah. that's running in the background. And, yeah. Right, right. And this idea of uh, these these people who might as well be livestock, right? So they exist to, to work, and they work in order to exist, and... Uh, Franz can't even manage because of existence to keep a steady job, right? Right. Um, and Mitzi just wants to take care of her, and then when he does work because he's been socially consistent, <laughs> conditioned to think he needs to work, right? Uh, you know that that causes some of their relationship tr- <laughs> troubles, right? So it's well, and, you know. and also when we consider the era that they're in and stuff like the kind of you know she's very limited in what kind of work she thinks she can do as well. Right. I mean, there's it's it's right, and yeah, she is I mean, doing sex work, right? You know? Right, and 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 I don't you don't get the impression that she does that because she that's like what she's into. She's doing it because that's the kind of work she thinks she can do, right? Right, like she doesn't talk about it with the sort of joy of somebody who enjoys their job or something like that, right? Right. Um, it, it it is um well and and that's you know that's obviously meant to be a form of commentary right like they you know we we know that you you know it's in the epilogue really hard but you know it's throughout the book it's it's we're all sort of fodder for this machine that is going to grind eventually grind us up right like we're not just right. the animals at the slaughter we're also the operators of the machines right like we both have to we have to operate the machines of our own demise uh and that is uh you know thing right we're all just human capital stock yeah no i mean i found that out the other day and uh i mean i can't say i was surprised to learn that that's what i was yeah. um so you know yeah and how do you respond to that you uh um, you laugh yourself 
into a catatonic state. <laughs> I mean, I guess that is one of the options presented in this yeah. film. Um, there are other options presented in this film. Franz just doesn't follow up on those. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, but Reinhold Franz is just... Finally, uh, yeah, you know. Reinhold finally learns to accept his true self while in prison. So there's that. Uh-huh. That's um, an epilogue, though, so that's... that's that is epilogue. That's now, ap- clearly, apocryphal. I feel like some of the epilogue is definitely... Obviously, Probably much of what happens some... in the epilogue is is extra textual, but uh, some of it is probably real. Yeah, I mean, yeah. definitely a possibility. I don't know I how mean, the actual book ends, but it probably. But I'm gonna guess it's not what happens in the epilogue. Yeah, certainly I don't not. think the book takes a left turn and it's just like, and now we live in this weird surreal thing where Franz is in purgatory or hell or something and is wandering around. You know, it's just you know. That seems unlikely, considering the way the rest <laughs> of the book goes. Um, so yeah, I, I it's yeah. I mean, I I really did enjoy this. I it, I don't know um, how or when I'll ever have another opportunity to watch it. Yeah, the post um, the postscript where uh, Franz is working as a doorman, and that ending sequence of right. him imagining the drumming and and all that that is in the book. I kind of so, thought that would be because yeah. that suddenly felt like the book again. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait, we're back in the book now. Like, it, it had that feel to it. It's like all the other stuff that doesn't feel like the book. Yeah. Unless the yeah. entire, like, end of the book is just Franz in a fugue state for, like, a month. You know, I guess it's possible. I I mean... The insane the, the the asylum is probably also probably part of the book, I would guess. Like maybe not exactly what's rendered there, but him being committed seems like yeah. it could be. Um and then Fastbender using that as a jumping off point to talk about what he wants to talk about. Because now we're in sort of we're in we're we're committed, we're in a in a uh sanitarium or whatever they're referring to it in in the in the movie and now we have a spot where we can just talk about whatever we want. To possibly, I don't know if that's true, but yeah, we all lie under the same axe. We all lie under the same axe. It's not even the end of the story. That's just yeah. The novel is interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does seem like. What you read to me does sound like I would struggle to read it because oh yeah yeah it seems difficult. It is it, it, apparently it gets com- uh, compared to uh, Ulysses, which makes sense to me. Yeah, that that <laughs> bit in the Wikipedia article from, from what, what I read is accurate, though. Uh, Ulysses is much more internal dialogue right. driven uh, in its stream of consciousness, whereas this is is almost montage. It's not a lot right. of. It's, but it's, but stream of consciousness is hard to read, just yeah. straight up because you're you're asked to occupy the same mental space as the author, uh, in a way that is quite difficult for an audience member to do, uh, to be able to follow the sort of logical path that the that the story is taking, right? Yeah. Because stream of consciousness makes perfectly good sense to the person who's experiencing it, and makes no sense to people outside of it, right? Um. So that's just a, that is always a challenge, I right. think. Right. But that that ending and the ending of the book 
in in comparison um and and indeed what the angel says in the epilogue of looking for freedom is always a march toward death uh whatever ideologically we might claim the system is always a march toward death right and it's always a march toward another inevitable war uh, right yeah and until the structures of the system are replaced well, uh, right yeah i mean there's yeah there's a there's a different way to view that which is what kind of what you're almost describing which is that everything's a march towards death so freedom also is a march towards death yeah. like it it is one way or the other this is where we're all going anyway this is where it's headed this is where right. the system takes you anyway and looking for freedom in that system but you know there's also the commentary that if you want to talk about it from a purely systemic system right like the system will punish you more right. overtly for trying to seek freedom it is designed to destroy the elements that look for freedom like we 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 don't we don't have to look very far in our own lives and society to see that like the moment you start talking about things that would be classified as freedom because they are inherently opposed to the system and the order of things the way they work you will be put down pretty hard and pretty quickly like it's just designed to do that and uh so there's that other element right is the sort of the the inverse of that right like you're not you're not seeking death but like by nature of wanting freedom, you are going to get it. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, but even an interesting counterpoint, given Dobler writing this in 27 or 29, uh, the ending, the talk of freedom and marching and mm -hmm. the old world having to crumble Who's Franz falling in with this time? Right, right. What does that mean? What's <laughs> what's on his horizon? And uh, you know, with the uh, with the retrospect of the rest of the twentieth century, right? Uh, it's just another cycle starting again, right? Right, and and you know the the thing that our the author doesn't have the the knowledge that the author doesn't have is the fact that like. We the author is very prescient. Uh, Dublin is very prescient about like what is happening now, like in in that time. But there's certain things that aren't obvious, which is like what the next step after the rise of Hitler is, right? Like what right. happens next, right? Is less obvious. You can see, sort of, it's very clear. He has some very clear ideas about what will happen, about what that rise will entail, but is less clear to see that like, oh yeah, like I mean all of Germany is in a march towards death anyway, right? right? Like this is right. this is you know, that that is probably less clear and because that requires a sort of almost extra extra sensory sort of perception to understand that that's how this is going to end up, right? Um you can imagine that it will be a hellscape inside the country, but it's harder to imagine that, Oh, this is where this is necessarily going to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, 
and and well, and and when you you mentioned like the talk of like necessarily another war, that's a thing that is lots. Of, I I do think that one is one of the things that like you know, Dolan definitely sees that sort of thing coming, and I think lots of people saw that coming, right? Like that. Right was more of an obvious thing that like this is going towards war because like right. you can hear the drum beats you know like the rising drum beat right like everybody Franz talks about that basically in and not in specific terms but talks about like is a constantly referencing drums and things like that right like yeah like everybody hears the the drum beats rising right so yeah and to that extent, I think about, um, see, this came out in 80, and actually the BRD trilogy, The Marriage of Maria Braun is 78, Lola is 81, and Veronica Voss is 82. And uh, I can't remember which one it was. Is it The Marriage of Maria Braun? No, it might be. It's either that or Veronica Voss, but I really can't remember. The one that ends with the gas leak exploding the house. Oh, gosh, um, I... I don't know. I can't yeah. remember. But in, but in any case, what I mean is, I think as it's I already Maria said, Braun. in the in the Pasolini's relationship to uh, to Italy in the same way uh, that that drumbeat, that marching toward a recursion of violence, is something Fassbender's clearly concerned right. about. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> right, and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is Maria Braun. That is the one that ends in a gas explosion. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. No, I, yes, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and he's aware of it. And I think a lot, and a lot of people, this is, you know, this is a topic that comes up a lot in our in our show, but also in this, <laughs> among directors, right, who see that sort of thing coming up, right? Right. Right. Uh, now, even within that, he of course tells a love story, right? right. <laughs> a story, a tragic love story, certainly, but but one where a man finally uh, finally finds his true love. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway. It's uh, it's an interesting work. It's a long work, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> takes a lot of time, but I'm glad we did it. Going to have to think about what we, uh, how we handle uh, pieces this long moving forward, right? Because uh, I don't know that we uh, we did it justice in how we handled it. This I don't. Time. I don't legitimately think we did. I think we we did suffer from the fact that, like, I I mean, even when I compressed it into slightly over two weeks, yeah, and even then, like those early episodes are. Uh, pretty much a blur at this point right right understood yeah so yeah this week we've been talking about berlin alexander plots the uh fassbender miniseries from 1980 adapted from the 1929 novel by alfred doblin next week we uh we'll obviously be switching gears because there is how could there is not? nothing else like this I yeah suppose. how could we not be switching gears that's yeah. impossible uh, but next week we will be talking about uh, a very early Ingmar Bergman, uh, the 1953 drama Sawdust in Tensel, his first collaboration with uh, cinematographer Sven Nyquist. Um, 
and a uh, a ninety minute Bergman, which is whoa, always interesting. Actually, we always react yeah. like that's abnormal, but I think it's I know, enough it, at but this I think point it's actually it's probably abnormal. the point where that's actually the norm. But like, yeah, yeah. But you know the 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 Criterion Collection set us up with a very specific set of expectations, and has yes. on multiple occasions just whacked us over the head with like right. no idiots. <laughs> this is what you get for doing this in order, dummies. So we look forward to that uh, again this week. It's been Berlin Alexander Plotz. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Otari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Yep. Bye. by John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan and the Adam Class who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.BandCamp.com. Hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash LostInCriteria. We'd appreciate it.